0: Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. This week I have a chat with author and former policeman Mike Smith... Following on from the success of his first book, In the Shadow of the Noonday Gun, Mike has written In the City of Dragons, the second of a trilogy of stories of police, triads, hacker villages and their pigs, senior business people getting into trouble and other colour of life in Hong Kong.
1: I came to Hong Kong in 73 and uh, was directly recruited from UK into the the Royal Hong Kong Police as it was in those days. I was 19, 19. there was a, a group of about, I think, 12 people joined at the same time. Then we'd go through six months' training, um, and after the training we'd be pushed out to different outposts. Um, some people would work in on the island or Kowloon or New Territories or Marine Police. We'd be posted all over the place then. I was actually posted to Frontier, which was a, a closed district on the border and uh, essentially we we sat there as border guards between here and China and and shared the job with the the British Army um, who usually had a Gurkha regiment up there. And what was involved? You had to stay there the whole time um, you weren't allowed in and out. You had to get permission to come out for weekends. Um, and there were, I can't remember quite how many, but I would guess about four or five stations along the border. Shattercock, Mankem, To, ones I remember. And um, we would literally guard the fence. So we'd be patrolling up and down the fence, making sure there weren't holes in it. Um, trying to catch illegal immigrants coming across and um, we'd sort of say hello every morning to the PLA on the other side and uh, that would be about it.
0: How did you say hello?
1: Um, not very nicely. <laughs> um, we'd go up and we'd be everyone would be in uniform and you'd go up to your opposite number and, and give him a desk stare and he'd give you a death stare back and sometimes he'd cock his gun or do something like that to look intimidating and that would be the sort of good morning hello and then you'd walk on to the next post.
0: Yeah, this sort of reminds me of actually when I, I saw a documentary recently on how the Indian army and the Pakistan army seemed to do this in, in Kashmir as well. But I have to say, when I read that in your book, with this sort of coming face-to-face with the People, People's Liberation Army on the other side of the fence, I'd always had this impression that there was a river in between or a bit of no man's land. So where were you that you were face-to-face?
1: Well, at chateau and and um, one or two other border posts, you actually had a road going straight across. And um, just thinking about chateau in the day, um, there actually wasn't a fence. Um, it, it, it was just an open road. There'd be border guards on the other side. But for some weird reason... Uh, We just had to go up and and say hello to each other every day. I don't know quite why, but it was just a a daily ritual. Um, It was nothing like the Indian-Pakistani one, which is, um, that's become an amazing ceremony, and uh, it's quite exciting to watch. Um, This wasn't exciting, and uh, on the odd occasion, you, you, you got a chap on the other side who was a little bit too aggressive.
0: How did you feel coming from the UK? Uh, I mean, as, as we'll hear in a little while, you've got a, a bit of a background or family background in this part of Asia, but in terms of coming out here as a 19-year-old, was it quite exciting being up on the border, or was it deathly boring?
1: Well, it was incredibly exciting um, to kick off with because it, it, it was all fresh and new, and um, you were suddenly given a huge amount of responsibility as a young kid. Um, I mean, moving on from the when I, I, I became a, a detective in the Wan Chai days, I mean, I was handling maybe three, four, five murders a week as a sort of 22-year-old. Um, so, yeah, the responsibility was enormous um, on the border. I was the so-called number two of a a, a border station. And again, loads of responsibility, but most of it was in writing death reports and boring stuff like that. I think after uh, maybe two, three months, the boredom started to set in and one got into a sort of um, expatriate colonial routine that, that was more like a death wish than anything else because it involved loads of drinking and not very much else
0: yeah you comment in your book about this sort of alcohol culture among it seemed more senior police officers or perhaps more established ones and in the city of dragons the second of your trilogy um, you mention a, a rather amusing anecdote about uh, yes, a, a corpulent alcoholic senior officer whose name has been changed and um, and his uh, experiences with some hacker villages
1: yes well th- that i mean that th- that story was pretty typical of the day and um, it it sort of showed, what I was trying to show in it was how much control the local people actually had, I mean the expats were their sort of temporary bosses who were ignored completely and uh, the locals had it their own way, they'd had it their own way for centuries anyway and I think that the expatriates were um, there very much um, as a temporary thing as far as the locals were concerned
0: so what was this uh, story then? It involved a, a bunch of pigs.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, what happened here was that the um, there was a huge sort of divide between expats and locals in the day, and uh, they pretty much ignored each other. And um, the expats who thought they were running the place um, weren't really um, and in this case what happened was that the um, there were huge arguments about the villagers um, being allowed to let their pigs root and roam in a, um, a, a piece of government land now the pigs had been doing this for centuries I'm sure um, but the government had decided that this land was designated for some sort of development so suddenly they tried to stop the villagers doing it well, the villagers got extremely upset, and, of course, the colonial government of the day had no interest whatsoever in talking to them. And um, in the end, they, they took matters into their own hands, really, because the, uh, the, the senior officer concerned. Decided that he'd try and chat them up with a, with a bit of booze, and uh, they turned it upside down, got him completely drunk, and uh, stripped him naked and took his gun and, and uh, uniform, and uh, wouldn't hand it over until a compromise had been reached. And of course, the compromise in the day was that the pigs were allowed to root in Rome, so nothing changed.
0: Did you find, I mean, as I say, you you came here as a 19-year-old. You then stay, uh, you stayed in the police until 1978 um, before starting your own business. So, I mean, your book, In the City of Dragons, there are obviously police anecdotes. There are uh, crime stories within it, um, but uh, it also covers uh, a multitude of other kind of business stories. Also, um, one's about uh, Macau dog racing. And, and the triad links. so they're very sort of colorful anecdotes now um are all of these stories true
1: <laughs> well the, there's a great danger in saying they're completely and totally true i think that um the incidents were generally true um the characters have in many cases, particularly where it's been harmful, they've been changed around. And um, but the, 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 the guts of the stories are essentially true. Yes.
0: When you were working on the border in the frontier land, um, I mean, in terms of um, the duty by the Royal Hong Kong Police or um, by the um, British Army here, what was the deal when it when an
1: illegal immigrant came in? Well, uh, essentially, you were meant to pick them up, arrest them, and um, then because in that day we had a policy called touch base and um, that policy was that if the illegal immigrant could get to uh, Hong Kong Island then he was scot-free and he could live in Hong Kong Um, so it was almost like a a game where you you had to get to the island but crossing at the frontier um, we would capture them coming through the fence or, or, or they'd be pretty obvious because they'd come in in groups and they'd look a bit scruffier and they wouldn't fit in with the locals. So we'd pick them up, arrest them, send them back over the border within 24 hours. And that was the normal, normal way of dealing with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, sometimes things went a bit awry.
1: Yeah, uh, things definitely went wrong. I mean, I don't remember any incidents where police actually shot illegal immigrants. I mean, we, we'd be armed, I mean, we, but we didn't have machine guns and things like that. We'd have a, a .38 Colt revolver, and that would be about it. Um, and they were never used, as far as I know, on, on illegal immigrants. But the Gurkhas, uh, for some reason, we, we had two or three incidents where they, they opened up with machine guns and, and fired at illegal immigrants. Not quite sure whether these guys were armed or running away or what but I do remember having to deal with a lot of death reports
0: in the city of dragons by Mike Smith you um, give quite some uh, entertaining anecdotes (laughs) I think sometimes um, senior business people wish you hadn't but um, uh, you know they're sufficiently disguised I think in this but um, in terms of I was also interested in in your recollections of or your anecdotes about the, the dog racing in Macau
1: yeah, well, dog racing uh, was quite a big thing in Macau. I think that horse racing came very late to Macau, um, and dog racing was really the, the sort of entertainment. And they'd have dog racing several times a week, and uh, the greyhounds would all be imported from UK, and they'd be kept in kennels uh, near the, the, the canodrome where the racing took place.
0: And uh, yes, the Canindrome is unfortunately still there, a little bit of a sad, sad place. And uh, there's been recent reports about uh, the treatment of the dogs. But yes, as you say, it was very much a a public sport. And uh, that hadn't quite fitted in with the Hong Kong more sort of gentlemanly, Attitude of (laughs) of the colonials towards horse racing. I mean, that's always amused me. Is that in your book you talk about you know that that um, you know dog racing and uh, other forms of betting like uh, those those casinos that was all shoveled into Macau and seemed to suit everybody.
1: Well, I think it did. I think the colonial government of the day and uh, the Chinese government as well. Um, They didn't want to wash their dirty linen uh, in public. You know, they they wanted to make sure all these things were hidden away. And the Chinese propensity for gambling, I think we all know, uh, is enormous. And it couldn't be disguised. Uh, In Hong Kong, the situation was exacerbated by corruption you had gambling houses all over the place that were illegal but sort of quietly authorised um, uh, in the shadows Um, but the uh, the easy way for the the governments to deal with the problem was Chakador to Macau then it was all in one place and the Portuguese government could deal with it well the Portuguese government were pretty laissez-faire about running Macau anyway so that's why I think Macau sort of got its reputation and and built up as a gambling mecca along with Stanley Ho along with Mr Ho, yes (laughs)
0: Now, back to the dogs. Uh, I mean, it's interesting how you um, describe some of the mechanisms uh, in order to make a certain dog win.
1: Yeah, well, I think that... Uh, I mean, there were many, many stories coming out of, of, of Macau dog racing. The, As I think you mentioned privately earlier, the, the treatment of the dogs has been and, and probably still is pretty bad. Uh, I don't think they were ever looked after particularly well. And... Um, dog racing was just totally fixed for years and years and uh, i tried to give some anecdotal stories of a few of the fixes that i heard about
0: yes yeah, so one awful one is uh, basically the fixer had gone in and then and, and, and to all intents and purposes poisoned seven of the dogs so that one dog ra- chased after the rabbit and one now you came to hong kong from the uk at age 19 but your family background has has been in this area for for many decades
1: yeah, um, my father was born in Hong Kong. Um, he, he, he was a volunteer and, in, in prison camp in Po and Argyle Street, through the war. Um, then he moved on to India as a tea planter after the war, so I was pretty much brought up in Asia.
0: Now, after being uh, a policeman in the, the frontier area, you then say that you moved on to, to Wan Chai as a detective?
1: Frontier was pretty deadly boring, and uh, eventually I, 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 I got away from Frontier. Um, and then I joined CID um, uh, in plain clothes. And uh, then I got a job as a detective inspector in Wan Chai. And uh, those days were great fun. Um, there was a huge amount of responsibility. And uh, one would sort of work a, a three day shift system. And on one day, which would be 24 hours, I'd actually sleep in the police station and pick up all the major crime that occurred in Wan Chai during that 24 hours, you'd actually be the first at the scene on all all the crime that occurred.
0: Author Mike Smith there on his book In the City of Dragons. And I look forward to having Mike back on the programme for more stories. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.